Good morning, church. We're uh, making a transition from the book of Daniel to the book of Revelation today. And as we do, um, we just need a little bit, not a lot maybe, but a little bit of an introduction to the book. The book of Revelation starts out with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant servants things which must shortly take place. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. We're going to be jumping all the way to Revelation chapter 12, but I want, I want to clearly state that if we are not discovering Jesus in the book of Revelation, we're not reading the book of Revelation. We're pulling out pieces. We're finding our little favorite spots. We're finding our, our prophetic identities, but we're not finding Jesus. And if we're not finding Jesus, we're not doing what the book says. The book says that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ that he gave to John. Symbols, signs, lots of things like that. But if you're not finding Jesus, you're not finding what God intended for us out of the book of Revelation. So we're going to be looking at chapter 12, which has these great prophetic images and these amazing behind-the-scenes storylines going on. But in the book of Revelation chapter 12, again, if we are not discovering Jesus... We're not discovering what God intended. So as we begin, the, begin this morning, I want to direct your attention. If you have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 12, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's the last book in the Bible. It's easy to find. Just turn to the back and work your way forward till you find Revelation. Chapter 12 is, in fact, going to give us a, the next layer of information about what's going on. I, I like this. I, I have often referred to this as a glimpse behind the scenes. Because as we look behind the scenes, behind the curtain... We get to see some things that are going on, particularly now. And if you're if you're wanting to really look at this carefully, 10, 11, 12, 13 are all kind of the curtain being drawn back and you're peeking behind the scenes of what's going on. We're getting a chance to look into what's moving in Revelation. The first half of Revelation, if you've read everything before this, you'd see that the, the Bible describes these tumultuous times. It describes it with seven churches, seven seals, and seven trumpets. It keeps showing us how there's this high time, this beginning time where everything is connected with God, representing the apostolic era when they are fully committed and fully understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And then it's tracing the decline of the church, really, and the decline of the world with it as it falls into a, a, a complete distraction, a complete walk away, a complete disinformation campaign about what really God is about. And as it rides into the bottom of this, every single one, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, has the same answer. When things get really ugly, when things get really bad, when it looks like the end, it looks like this is going to be that crazy close, Jesus shows up. Every single time. It's the same message. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? That He is the right answer for all circumstances. That Jesus is the right answer, no matter how crazy it feels. That's why I wanted to go here as we're dealing with all the craziness of our world at the moment. This next week, we will have probably the most unusual election ever in the history of America. I fully expect this to go on for weeks before we know who wins. There's going to be counting and things that happen. Don't allow the disturbances in the political world to throw you off of your relationship with God. God sits on His throne no matter what crazy people do on our planet. God doesn't give away His throne because something happened crazy in the world. Wars, rumors of wars, doesn't matter. Wars are terrible. Horrible things are happening. People are being 
harmed, but God hasn't given up His throne. God hasn't given His position of leadership away because something's going screwy in our world. Revelation chapter 12 opens with this scene. Here it is. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain and to give birth. And then, verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Here's the picture of this confrontation in the beginning of chapter 12. Beginning of chapter 12, we're rolling out of, of the, the comments in, in 10 and 11. We're rolling out of that last sort of trumpet blowing. And as the last trumpet blows, there's Jesus again. And as the last trumpet blows, this new scene comes on. And John is, remember, he's seeing all this stuff one after another, after another, after another. He's locked up on the island of Patmos. It's like a, it's like a prison island. It's like Alcatraz in the ancient days. He's on the island of Patmos as a prisoner of Rome. He's been sent there basically to go crazy or die. And he sees all of these visions. I think actually part of the reason God gave him such wild visions for him to write down is so the Romans would let him go. Because your options are go crazy or die. This guy, when they read the story, said, okay, he's gone around the bend. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Send him back and he pastors the church of Ephesus the rest of his life. I love how God pulls one over on the Romans. But here's the deal. The story that he's telling is still relevant this morning. The story that he's telling is still relevant to us this morning. Let's unpack this chapter a little bit. As the conclusion of 11 happens, it brings a close to the seven trumpets. That seventh trumpet blows. Trumpets are always ushering in one thing or another. A trumpet is common when battle is engaged. So when you're calling people to war, the trumpet sounds and off they come to war. The, 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 the warriors gather for the battle. Or a dignitary was approaching. So if someone is, some dignitary is approaching, it's the trumpet being blown. It's interesting because Revelation 12 is going to have both war and a dignitary. Revelation 12 is going to go show us this conflict between good and evil and its source. And it's going to show us the arrival of Jesus himself. So as we continue... A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head is garlanded with twelve stars. First of all, she's clothed in this white, in the sun. We don't know exactly what this means, although the angels show up over and over again. People, visitors from heaven show up over and over again, and they're described as being as bright as the sun. So this may just be symbolizing that she's just as bright as the angels when she arrives. She's got a garland of twelve stars on her head. Probably represents the twelve apostles or the twelve tribes of Israel, maybe both describing the fact that God has always led in these groups, in His church. She's standing on the moon. I have never figured this out. The moon is baffling to me. Nothing else stands on the moon in the Bible. The only thing I've wondered is if it's representing something like the church as a reflection of God, because this picture, this woman, is representing the church. The church is called a woman from Genesis all the way through. All the way through the Bible, the church is described as a woman. Genesis chapter 3, when the conflict is going on, the description is the woman's seed who will win the conflict over evil. Over and over again, as God is talking about His bride, the church, as He's talking about Israel and then the New Testament church, it's always a bride, it's always a woman. So the woman's not hard to figure out. The woman is the church. The decorations around the woman are what we're questioning about. Why is she so bright? Well, because the church is supposed to be this bright light. 
Why does she have this garland? Because the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel were the places where God founded the body that would be the church. So those are pretty straightforward. We have, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the fact that she's about to give birth. The church is about to give birth. And that'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more, but recognize that it's an important piece. You're seeing a woman who's about to have a child. The church is about to give birth to a child. It's, it's an important piece for you to hang on to. Another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great, fiery, red dragon. So stop there before we get to heads and all those other things. A dragon shows up. Now this dragon image is a familiar one too. It's going to define itself here in just a minute. But I want you to think about what you're looking at. You're looking at this beautiful, glimmering, white church picture, right? She's bright, white, color, white shining light out of her church color, church image. She's pregnant. A woman is probably no more in desperate need of protection than when she's in this situation. This is a woman who's extremely vulnerable. And what is her opponent? What is the opponent of this woman who looks extremely vulnerable? A dragon, a great red fiery dragon is her opponent. And he's not just a dragon, which is bad enough. He has seven heads, which by the way would come with seven sets of teeth, seven sets of eyes, all of these freaky, carry, scary things. You know, the, the anime people have nothing on this. The animation people, the, the, the people who are, who are drawing pictures, whether they're, whether they're Japanese anime, whether they're uh, American dragon pictures, it doesn't matter. This is as scary as any picture you're ever going to see on any of those things. Of course, I don't think anime is all that scary. Those big eyes just don't make it too scary to me. Seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems, seven crowns. Know where the, crow the crowns are at this point. Tonight I'm going to talk about this dragon again. The, tr the, the crowns will move. It's an important discussion. The crowns are on the horns right now. Okay, So it's are on the heads right now. The seven heads, the crowns are sitting on the heads right now. So this dragon is showing up to, to be in conflict with the woman. In fact, his whole intent is to catch her as this baby's being born. But let's catch who the dragon is. The Bible says in verse 9, seven, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So who's the dragon? The dragon is opposing the woman, the church, is the devil himself. It's an important piece to get. The conflict in the world is not a political one. The conflict in the world is not a political one. It is not a national one. It is not even a human conflict. It is a conflict between good and evil. It is a conflict between God and Satan. And as the church is the arm of God's vo or the voice of God on earth, it gets in the crosshairs of this fight. The church in this moment of vulnerability, as this child is about to be born, is facing the conflict head on. Now think about the birth of Jesus. Those of you who are familiar with the Christmas story, you remember the, the, the layers of the Christmas story? The, the thing comes along that, that as Jesus is, is about to arrive, they arrive in the, in the town of Bethlehem. You remember old little town of Bethlehem and all that? Remember where they sleep? They don't get to sleep in a hotel that night. They don't get to sleep at someone's house that night. They sleep in a stable. They go in the stable. The baby is born in the stable. As the story begins to unfold, bits and pieces keep coming to us. First of all, you have the shepherds who exalt the baby and recognize who this is. After the shepherds, you have the wise men. Remember the three wise men? They come. There maybe were more than three, but they bring three gifts. They come and they, they show up on the scene and everybody's exalting the baby. But then, 
When Herod finds out that the wise men didn't come back to him and tell him where they'd found the baby, do you remember what he does? He has all the children under the age of two in and around Bethlehem murdered. Why? Because the dragon is angry with the woman and is seeking to destroy the child that's being born. We look at Herod and we say, what a horrible person. Yeah, horrible person. Horrible things. But the conflict that's going on is bigger than Herod. It's not a political, a national, even a religio-political fight. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. And behind all of these movements is Satan himself trying to attack his opponent before it's old enough to be a threat. Kind of spoiled your, spoiled your whole Christmas scene, didn't I? It says something else about the dragon. It says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Ready to do what? Devour the child. He's going to eat the baby. Okay? Gruesome picture. But that's the picture. When, when God gives us the information, he doesn't, he doesn't try to color the picture so we're not scared. He wants us to be afraid of this. He wants us to be wary of this. He wants us to understand that this is a scary, frightening thing that we're up against. The dragon is there waiting for the child to be born so that he might destroy the baby as soon as it's born. Get rid of this threat before it's big enough to be a real threat. Now his tail draws a third of the stars of heaven. Catch what's going on next. A war breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and what? His angels. Michael is fighting against the dragon. So who's the dragon? Satan. Michael? Tim, where are you? Tim, I think I left those handouts on my desk. You don't get one. You can get one on your way out if you want one. Michael is Jesus. I think I can prove that. Okay? I think I can prove that to you, but I'm going to give you a handout later because that's a half hour of proof time for me. Okay? And I don't have that half hour right now. But there's a handout for you to pick up on your way out. Michael is Jesus. The conflict that we're looking at is Jesus against the dragon. God versus the devil. Good versus evil. But, I don't, but note that the dragon has his angels. Note that the dragon has his own angels. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. They did not prevail. The Bible says he draws a third of the stars of heaven. When you're reading a third in the book of Revelation, I want you to catch it this way every time. Don't try to nail out which is 33 and 0.3%. It's simply telling you that a lot, but not a majority. A lot, but not 55%. Okay, so a lot of angels are drawn out of heaven, but not a majority of them. It's a big impact, but it doesn't overcome the majority. So if you can just keep it in your way, you don't have to spend a whole bunch of time trying to do the math here. A lot, but not a majority, are pulled out of heaven. Satan somehow convinces a bunch of angels to come with him. Stop and think about how convincing he is. Stop and think about how scary that is. This is not ground you want to play on. This is not something you want to meddle in. 
You don't want to be in, under the influence of Satan. He's too good at influence. He got a third of the angels. He got a large percentage of the angels to follow him and to actually fight against God. If he could do that, we don't want to mess with him. Let God do your fight. Let God fight him for you. So she bore a male child. The woman bears the male child. Who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to what? His throne. He's caught up to God and to his throne. Think about that for a second. He's caught up to God and to his throne. Whose throne? God's throne. Who is caught up to God and to his throne? Jesus. So who is this baby? The baby is Jesus. Now we don't often think about the church giving birth to Jesus. We don't think about the, the, about the church being the, the one who gives birth to Jesus. But this has always been the statement about Jesus. Back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the same idea. We have this concept that an enmity will be put between the, between the woman and between you. He's talking to the, to the devil at this point. Enmity will be between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now it gets specific. He, some one individual of her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We have recognized this for the entirety of understanding the scripture as a description, the first description of the coming of Jesus. This is the first description. Revelation or Genesis chapter 3. You're three chapters into the Bible and we've already seen the conflict, good and evil. The old serpent, which was mentioned a little while ago, the old serpent against the people of God and against God. And he, one of her seed, a person, a human, a person in human form, someone in human form, will fight against the devil and bruise his head. How do you kill a snake? If you have a big heavy boot or a big rock, right on the end with the teeth in it. Do not pick up the snake by the tail. Not a good idea. They bend. Squash, crush the head. He will bruise your head. The idea is he will kill you. He will destroy you. He will be victorious. You will injure him. You will bruise his heel. You will injure him. But he will win. Right at the beginning of the Bible, the whole story is told. Right at the beginning of the Bible, you're told who's going to win. Right at the beginning of the Bible, it tells you which team to pick. Pick God's team, because God's team, God's team wins. He will bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So the woman is about to give birth to a child. When the child is born, he is caught up to the throne. This is the birth of Jesus being described. Here in Scripture, the birth of Jesus being described. This woman is the church. The woman is about to give birth to a child. The church that be, that's being described is the church of Israel. This is the people of Israel. This is God's camp. This is where His people are going to deliver the Messiah. And this is the fulfillment of that in Revelation chapter 12 being described. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where a place was prepared for her that she that should feed... <laughs> prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Okay. If, you were, if you've been coming throughout the week, if you were watching last night, you know that we talked about the fact that we we're going to cover this today. We're going to come into this today and check a little bit of it out. So I want you to catch it. This parallels with the 1260 days slash years. Okay? Years is pretty clear here. The parallels in the Bible for this are multiple. Watch this. 
Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, it's called three and a half times. I'll touch that just briefly in a minute. Number two, Revelation 11, it's called 42 months. Number three, Revelation 11 again, verse 3, it's called 1260 days, same as here. Revelation chapter 12, where we are now, it's called 1260 days. Revelation chapter 12 again, verse 14, it's called three and a half times. This is the picture that the Bible is presenting. I want you to recognize that God is saying this again and again and again and again and again. In Daniel chapter 7, this freaks Daniel out. In Daniel chapter 7, he finds out that this, this horn power that's popped up and suddenly shown in his vision has, is actually going to dominate the people for 1260 days, three and a half times. Now, I want you to, I want you to, do, to, to work out the math here because I, I remember when I first saw this, I thought, what? that math doesn't make sense to me. But I'll get back to you in just a second. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time, singular, times, dual, not plural, and a half a time. That's how we get to three and a half years from time, times, and a half a time. So why the translators often just translate it, three and a half years. Okay? Depending on what Bible you have, you're gonna, that's the way you're going to find it. Here's how it works out math-wise. 1260 days equals 42 months if the months are 30 days. You get it? Those of you who are doing quick mental math. Got it? Those of you who can't do mental math, it's right. Or three and a half, 360 day years. 12 times 30, 36, 360, get it? Okay? Get the picture though. The reason for this is at the time, the Jewish years were 12, 30 day months. God always speaks to us in a context we understand. God always speaks to us in a way that we will understand. It's an important biblical principle. When you're reading the Bible, the reason you want to try to read the context and understand what the pro- who the prophet is talking to or who God's specifically speaking to, is he talking to Moses here? Is he talking to Jonah here? Is he talking to Jeremiah, Isaiah? What's the context in which they're speaking? Because every time you see God speak, he speaks into the context that he's currently, that people are currently living in. How would you understand anything else? Daniel is freaked out by this, but he has no concept that this has nothing to do with Judaism. That this happens after Judaism has rejected the Messiah, and it's now this new thing called Christianity. Christianity had, had no predecessor. There's no form in which Christianity existed before. What we are in, what you and I are part of in this discussion of the, the Christian world that is affected by this, after the birth of Jesus, there's no way to connect that to Daniel's mind. Because religion before this had been everyone, Adam and Eve, onto the flood. Post-flood, Israel is picked out and it's become national. But there's no international group that's following the Messiah at this point. There's no way for him to understand why this is not relating to him and he doesn't even have to worry about it. If you go back and read Revelation 7, or if you have it memorized and it's running through your mind right now, remember he gives him what the answer is. He tells him, the answer to this story is pretty simple. How we're going to deal with this? God's going to show up. Thrones are set up. The, the God sits on one of the thrones. And then he sees, thrones are plural by the way, also giving us a clue about Jesus. Then he sees at the end of his vision, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. He sees a scene of the second coming. He sees the coming of the Messiah. But he's freaked out because there's going to be this long time period when the people of God, the saints of God, will be overcome, will be diminished, will be persecuted. 
by this little thorn that's popped up in the future. He has no concept of you. But God gives him enough information for all of us. You know what the answer is to this horrible period of persecution? Jesus. The answer is, and always will be, Jesus, no matter the circumstances. If you're frustrated, worried, scared of COVID, the answer is Jesus. If you're frustrated, worried, scared about the election, the answer is Jesus. If you're worried that this may be the beginning of the end of the world, the answer is Jesus. If you're wondering whether you're not going to be saved or you are going to be saved, the answer is follow Jesus. The goal of God for us throughout the scriptures is to understand that he has set in place the answer to all of our problems. When the sin problem arose, God said, "I, I will deal with this. I will send my son. He will take on the fight between good and evil, between Satan and the people of God. He will be the focus of the fight, and he will bruise your head. The answer to Satan is Jesus. The answer to conflict is Jesus. The answer to fear is Jesus. The answer to anger is Jesus. The answer to addiction is Jesus. This has been the message of Scripture from day one of sin. And Revelation is like the the bow that wraps up the close of the story. The package is closed, the wrapping is sealed, and the bow that's tied on is is the book of Revelation. And Revelation says, oh, there's going to be trouble, but Jesus will be there. Oh, look again, there's going to be trouble, but Jesus will be there. Oh, look again, there's going to be trouble, but Jesus will be there. And every time the the Bible takes you in Revelation into the pictures of how dark it might get, the answer is Jesus. This period is actually the outline for for those seven churches, seven seals, and seven trumpets. This period is actually what God is trying to convey in the first half of Revelation. It's a simple reason, really. Because this will be an organization, a religio-political organization that claims to represent God persecuting the people of God. For 1,260 years, for more than 1,000 years, there will be a persecution of the people of God that causes them to flee into the wilderness, to go and hide. That's what this imagery is giving us. But then it pulls the curtain back a little further and it says, oh, by the way, this all started with a battle between good and evil in heaven. The problem got transferred to you because your parents volunteered for this. We'll talk to them later. But it isn't new. It's a conflict that began between good and evil in heaven. We're going to move on to 13 tonight and try to pick up some of these pieces, but it's a big story. We could spend a week just on this story as it shows itself throughout Scripture. But here in Revelation... Pulling back the curtain and we're seeing behind. And we're seeing that the conflict we find ourselves in is not a political one, it's not a national one, it's not even a personal one. It affects all of those things. But it's much bigger than all of those things. It's a conflict between good and evil that has been going on since the devil, the dragon, that old serpent, rebelled against God, fought against God in the kingdom of God, in heaven itself. But the point of the story 
is that the church escapes. The point of the story is not the dragon. The point of the story is the church escapes. The church gets away. The church escapes. 1260 days, all this oppression. Church escapes. Verses 13 and 14. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, because he lost the war, by the way, he's persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So what's going to happen to the church? Persecution. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Wings always describe fast flight, quick exit, getting away. Given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and time and half a times. Time singular, time dual, half a time, 360 days, three and a half years, or three and a half years, 42 months. Here, here we are again, 1260s, here again. From the presence of the serpent, the church gets away. The church escapes when, when confronted and he's trying to attack the baby. The church escapes. Here at the end, when he's serious, he's mad, he's really angry, he's persecuting the woman, she escapes. What is the Bible telling us? The Bible's telling us, yes, there will be difficult times, but I'll take care of you. There will be hard persecution, but I'll take care of you. Things might get really ugly and really dark, but I will take care of you. I won't leave you alone. I will rescue you. The answer to Scripture is always, I will take care of you. Jesus will take care of you. Jesus will intervene for you. Jesus will rescue you. Jesus will come for you. Jesus has a plan for you. He wants to take you home. The final story is that God's been desperate to take you home forever. From the very first sin, God has desperately been wanting you guys to trust him and go home. The church escapes. The church escapes. The church escapes. In this deeper behind the scenes look, the message is the same. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with a dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. They did not prevail. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven any longer. They got kicked out. The devil got booted out of heaven. He wandered around looking for a place to land. Showed up in the garden one day, hung out in a tree a little bit, talked to Eve, talked to Adam, and got them to join him. Got them to trust him more than they trusted God. And lo and behold, here you are. Thank you very much. I don't know that any of us should in any way consider them somehow less. None of us could face a direct confrontation with Satan by ourselves. And that's what they were trying to do. If I can just remind you, don't play in this arena. Don't read books that take you into this arena. Don't watch films that take you into this arena. Don't mess around with people who take you into this arena. You can't win this fight. If you get on the devil's turf, you're going to lose the fight. 
he loses against Jesus because Jesus is God. Humans don't have a chance without Jesus. He did not prevail against Michael. And he was thrown out. So the great dagger was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. You see, it's, it's really trying to make clear to us what's going on. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So the third that were dragged by his tail in that first verse tells you where they went. They ended up here. It's the conflict that's going on behind the scenes. What God is trying to open up for us as he has shown in the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, that, that the world who's gotten the revelation of Jesus loses the revelation and declines and declines and declines into this darkness, this period of great darkness. And Jesus comes to that place and gives the answer to it. It's found in the revelations of 10 and 11 and in a great deal. And man, man, maybe we should just go through this bit by bit, verse by verse for a few months together, just sometime during the week when you can ask questions and we can go slow. But the answer keeps coming back to seven churches problem, Jesus shows up. Seven seals, Jesus shows up. Seven trumpets, Jesus shows up. The answer is the same. And when we arrive here, it takes us behind the scenes and it shows us this is why this is going on. There's a conflict between good and evil that's been going on. It started actually in heaven, has been transferred to our planet. And yes, you're dealing with a lot of ugly stuff, but your answer is still Jesus. Your answer is still Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ and his authority and his power and what he's won on behalf of the people who choose to follow him, the church. It's the same covenant. It's the same covenant. We mentioned, we mentioned this covenant before, just last night, that remember Abraham is there signing a covenant. He doesn't know what God is going to do, but he, got, he knows what God is doing. We mentioned this just the other night. That when Abraham is called to the covenant signing, he's told to get a bunch of animals and cut them in half. And the Bible shows this graphic story of Abraham keeping the buzzards away from all of these things during the day because these carcasses are beginning to attract the buzzards. As evening settles, Abraham falls into a deep sleep and he sees the presence of God. He expects a, 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 he expects a certain kind of thing to happen that day. Because what would normally happen in this contract signing day is the loser of the battle, the weaker of the kings, would pass through those animals and he would recite loudly enough for everyone to hear, let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I should break my covenant with the Hittites. This was a Hittite contract. And he was supposed to go back and forth saying this, let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I should break my covenant with the Hittites. And there's just blood all over his feet and there's these gruesome looking animals laying around who have been sliced in half. Let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I should break my covenant with the Hittites. And instead of God saying to Abraham in that vision, now get up and walk the path of blood. And as you walk, Abraham, make your promise that you will never fail me. You will never break this covenant. You will do, you will live life perfectly from now on. Walk the path of blood, Abraham. And shout so everyone can hear you, so the, so the hills will hear you, so the stars will hear you, hear you, so that everyone will hear you. 
walk through the path of blood and say, let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I should break my covenant with God. Instead, man, every time I think about this, it just moves me. This fiery, smoky pot shows up as the presence of God. And God moves through the animals and walks the path of blood. Let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I should break my covenant with Abraham. Let it be done to me as was done to these animals if Abraham should break his covenant with me. Because God signs both sides of the contract. You see, from that covenant to the rainbow of the flood to the covenant with Israel from Moses on the mountain to call of Jesus to love God and love your neighbor every time there was a covenant made with us God knew who we were and he knew we would blow it he knew we would fail and so he graphically demonstrated as he walked the path of blood let it be done to me as was done to these animals if Abraham fails the covenant if the followers fail if the believers aren't able to hold up their end let it be done to me let me walk the path of blood them the answer to the problem is Jesus the woman's giving birth to the child and Satan knows that if this child survives he's done he's seen the whole picture and God warns in this wild book. Look, it's going to get ugly. There are going to be 1,260 years when it looks like the dragon's winning. Those have already passed, and you and I are not living in them. A prophecy ended in 1798. COVID is not the blackest moment in Earth's history. The blackest moment in Earth's history was when the church that said it represented God chose to represent Satan. And they bound themselves together with the political and they became so corrupted by it that they gave the wrong message. And so God repeats again and again and again. Beware. One day the church will no longer represent me. And the last verse of this chapter says this. The dragon was enraged with the woman. You're not surprised by that by now. He went out to make war with the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. If you go back and you look at the covenant that God made with Israel, he says, I will have mercy on a thousand generations of those 
who love me and keep my commandments. It's not a new story. It's not a new covenant. It's the same story again. But while the serpent is attempting to attack the woman, we're given two clues, that one and one other, where the Bible says they overcame him. The church survived by the blood of the Lamb because he walked the path of life and the word of their testimony. The church survived by claiming the blood of Christ. Not our righteousness, but his. And telling that story again and again. The problem is evil. The problem is the dragon. The problem is Satan himself. And chapter 13 will blow that story up even bigger. But the answer is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that here we find the answer to our questions. That here we understand what it's like to trust you. That in chapters 1 through 11, you've been telling us the answer is Jesus. That when we here arrive in chapter 12 and you tell us, look, there's going to be this hard time. You mentioned it already in Daniel 7. You mentioned it in chapter 11. You've mentioned it here in 12. You mentioned it again in 13. And you just keep telling us over and over again, there's going to be a time when the very group that claims to represent me is actually representing evil. And that in that deepest, darkest of times, the answer is Jesus. Lord, we may be standing on the precipice of the end of the world. We don't know. But we know that the answer to our salvation is Jesus. That the answer to surviving the end of time is Jesus. That the answer to the covering of our sins is Jesus. The answer to being your children is Jesus. So today we claim Jesus. We claim his blood. We thank you that you signed both halves of the covenant, your commitment to us, and your willingness to cover the lack in our commitment to you. Thank you for walking the path of blood on our behalf, for dying on the cross on our behalf, for taking the wages of sin so that we don't have to, for becoming sin for us so that we are no longer under its penalty. Thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ and the opening up of the story of your victory. In Jesus' name, we pray.